I have commandeered the Michigan Sports Podcast. My name is Cole. Zach Tice is tied up in an unplugged refrigerator. I'm holding him hostage. Do not call the police or he will die. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm still here. For now. For now. <laughs> Currently, he's not dead or being held hostage, but tonight is still young. Exactly. Well, Zach Tice, we're here to talk about a very important game that's coming up this Saturday. It is Friday, January 28th, tomorrow the 29th. Michigan and Michigan State will collide for the first time this season after their initially uh, postponed game. You mean Michigan ducking at Michigan? <laughs> Michigan getting a little bit of the Rona and deciding that they shouldn't play, which, and all, you know, player safety is important, but at the same time, come on. Do it. Sports is more important than player safety. Sports is much more important than player safety. Really. No. Michigan actually didn't really duck at MSU, though whole idea of them like getting COVID, like actually meaning to get COVID, and that's just overblown. I think that was a lot of MSU fans just trying to like poke fun at that. It's poke. Michigan. And the same way it probably gone the other way if <laughs> MSU got COVID. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, in a rivalry game that's played as a home and home every year, or almost every year, you would want to opt out because of COVID and your opportunity to play at home. So that is a little silly, of course, but I'm excited. I, I'm really excited. I've enjoyed watching this Michigan State team play um, the opportunities that I've had this year. I think that they're one of the more well-rounded teams that I've gotten the opportunity to watch, and I think that it's interesting because everyone who plays, there isn't anybody that's really dead weight on the court, whereas in teams past, sometimes they can play six or seven players deep. As soon as you get to 8, 9, 10, it gets to be a bit of a 4 on 5. So it's cool that this game is, is as complete as it is. Yeah, I definitely agree. One thing that is definitely different about this team, though, is no one you don't have that go-to scorer. You don't have that player that's like, who's going to take the last shot of the game. Um, we've seen two games where MSU end up losing because they had missed free throws at the end. And like I've said before, it's really tough making those free throws at that time just because of how much pressure is on you it's a lot harder than just making a free throw at the beginning or in the middle of the game you don't have necessarily have to but it's just one of those types of teams that you look at and you're like who's that one guy to take over and i don't think we really have that guy yet it seems like gabe brown was that early on he was like the guy to go to he was getting 15 20 points a game but as of recently gabe brown has not been hitting his shot He's had wide open looks, but it seems like teams are really targeting him differently than early on. And I think that has a lot to do with a, the team's game plan on him. I think people are trying to take away Gabe Brown and forcing Max Christie to play well, and he hasn't been playing very well. Marcus Bingham was in the doghouse with Tom Izzo for like two consecutive games. kind of seems like He's not really there anymore after the Illinois game, but he can't go 30, 30 plus minutes. I think it probably has to do with conditioning, especially with coming back from COVID. Um, we've seen some impact of COVID really affecting players' performance. Like you see players come back and they're just not the same. And I think 
Marcus Bingham was kind of like that for the first two games. But under Coach Izzo, if you don't play 100%, he's not going to, he's not going to play you. No matter what happened, doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it's wrong. I don't know. But if you don't give up your all effort and you can't play 20-plus minutes, Izzo's not going to play you. No, I think that's true, and it, it makes sense as well. You, If somebody is a liability due to their conditioning, it's pretty difficult to rely on them for consistent long stretches of the game, especially in conference play. Um, but I've been really impressed with a lot of different players on the team. Probably the biggest, most pleasant surprise has been A.J. Hogard, who I really just enjoy watching him play because he obviously doesn't have much of a jump shot, but it doesn't matter. Because he reminds me in a lot of ways as like a Rajon Rondo type thing. He obviously it doesn't have the same passing ability as Rondo, but he is extremely fearless. He loves going to the rim. He finishes very well at the rim, um, and he just he isn't afraid of anybody. He's I feel like it's kind of seldom that there is an MSU player that is truly purely fearless. There's a lot of times where they're afraid to shoot because they're afraid to miss because they don't want to get pulled or. They're timid because of the, you know, they're playing Duke or Kentucky or Kansas or something like that. And I don't think that A.J. Hogarth is that guy. I think that he would drive into the teeth of, like, anybody. He would accept the results for what they are, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I agree that he's willing to attack. I think sometimes he's too willing to and too wild to attack. Um, we've seen some games where A.J. Hogarth, I think the Wisconsin game, for an example, was probably the best game he's played in a Spartan uniform since he came but then there's other games where you're watching and you're like aj like calm down like in that in an illinois game you could see that charge coming from 90 <laughs> feet away like you just see him just running straight down the court running straight down lane which is good to do but when someone is literally setting up when you're already on the three-point line you either need to avoid him or kind of kind of calm down a little bit and i think I think he's going to get better at that. Um, another player that's kind of like that when he's aggressive is Gabe Brown. Mm-hmm. Like for big games, which is one thing I'm kind of worried about a little bit tomorrow, especially against Michigan. Gabe Brown has so much energy, that's almost too much energy, that he plays too reckless. And it's good to have a sort of energy to be excited. You want to attack the basket. But there's a difference between being excited and being aggressive and being so excited that you end up not dribbling and you have an open dunk and then you get a you get a traveling call which we've seen a couple mm-hmm. of times this year from Gabe Brown. No, I, I think that's that's fair. It's very um Russell Westbrook like in that way. And you know, everything's a hundred miles an hour all the time. Everything's trying to take it coast to coast, ninety four feet and dunk over everybody the whole time. And, and I love that, but at the same time, you are right. It can be, uh, it can be a problem. Uh, at, you know, in the same way that not enough energy is an issue, that too much energy is an issue. So being too aggressive or being too timid. So you do need to find that balance. And, and hopefully as the season progresses, um, he obviously can find that sweet spot. And he has had a lot of time. He is a senior, isn't he? Gabe Brown, yes, he is. Gabe Brown, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's had lots of time in the court. And, and hopefully as you start moving into the tournament time, whether it's the Big Ten or the NCAA, that he can um, kind of catch a group. Because really, that's that's what matters in this sport. It's, it's your seeding in the tournament. It's your tournament draw. It's how you play in the tournament. It's, as Kentucky's proven many times, you can lose like one or two games during the regular season. But if you don't perform in the 
tournament. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the difference between basketball and football is that one or two losses won't hurt you. We've seen teams that have lost quite a bit in the regular season go on and run in their conference championship. They get in, and then they go Kevin on and Walker, run in March. Gone. Yeah, absolutely. That that wasn't crazy year. I remember, I'm pretty sure MSU played UConn. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember if that was the year that they had Kemba, but one of the years MSU played UConn in the Final Four, um, well, twice, I guess. They played UConn in the Final Four in 2009, where they won the championship game and lost to Carolina. But then they played again, I want to say, maybe, maybe, no, no, it was 2015. I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was the Elite Eight. Maybe it was the Elite Eight. But... Yeah, I think it was Elite Eight, and I think, I think it was like a 7-8 matchup yeah. in, the, in the national championship, and well, that UConn was a lot better than what the ranking was mm-hmm. because if you have a player like Kemba Walker, you're going to get you're going to get carried through the um, tournament just like John Moran yeah. when he played a couple of years ago. He, I think they had an upset early round one. They end up losing round two, but yeah. still, you have a team and a school that isn't very well known get carried by one guy, and we already see what John Morant's doing in the NFL. Like, a lot of people are arguing that he should be the MVP or at least in the MVP conversation. But, yeah, I, I love March. March is, like, my favorite time of year, especially seeing those upsets like Loyola Chicago. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, that magic run to the Final Four, Michigan somehow beats them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that was a magic run. Um, yeah, I think it's all about how you start playing and that's one thing that I think Michigan is starting to kind of get going a little bit more like early on in the year people were talking about how Michigan wasn't going to make the NCAA tournament I think Michigan is still a ways away from making the NCAA tournament I don't think they're in right now but if Michigan wins at MSU tomorrow they rescheduled Purdue if they beat Purdue at Michigan, which it, it, it is, those are two really good wins on your schedule. And when it comes to picking for the tournament, what your resume is, all that matters. Mm-hmm. Is if you have good wins on your resume and you have enough wins, it doesn't really matter what your ranking is because we've seen 16 seeds upset one. We saw Virginia lose. We've seen 15 teams upset two. MSU got upset by Middle Tennessee State, which I never want to never want to see again. That was that was a special MSU team that lost to a hot um, Middle Tennessee State team. Anything can happen in one game. Anything can. It's um. No, be right. It it really just depends on how you're playing when the postseason rolls around, and and we'll see. You know, there's going to be February basketball is. Um, Honestly, more often than not, it's more exciting than March basketball as teams start to feel the pressure of the tournament coming up. And there's, you know, just matchups matter more. Basketball in February matters a lot more than basketball in November or December. So I think there's a lot of fun matchups coming up across the country, and I'm excited to see them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back to the games in like November and December, at that time, that might have been a very good win for you. But then we've seen teams that have been very good, highly rated teams, that have absolutely fallen apart. Like, an example, like a team that had so much hype around it, 
that is not very good is Memphis mm-hmm. and Penny Hardaway. He had the number one recruiting class, and you had players like Imani Bates, which was committed to MSU, mm-hmm. number one in his class before he ended up going into the Sooner class, which I think it was number two to um, to the Gonzaga player. Yeah. But um, uh, sometimes hype doesn't really resonate on the floor. That doesn't translate as much. Yeah. And I think, to be fair, I haven't watched a ton of Memphis basketball this year, but I think that given the amount of talent they have, um, if they can recoup for a year, which who knows if they will, because it's obviously the current era of college basketball is one and done heavy, and I don't blame anybody for being one and done. I think that if you can go be a lotto pick, go be a lotto pick. But I think that given the amount of talent they have, I think that if you can get a lot of those guys to stick around for one more year, I think Memphis is going to be really, really good. Like Derek Rose, Memphis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the I don't like Duke. I think a lot of teams don't like Duke. I think a lot nobody of people, likes Duke. I don't think Duke people like hardly North, likes Duke. I, yeah, I don't think people really like Duke or North Carolina. But one thing you have to give credit to for Coach K and Coach Williams when he was still a coach, you have to give credit to them because they always had four or five one and dones, and they were always making. The tournament, and you see other teams like Memphis. I don't think Penny Hardaway is a great coach. I think he's decent. I think he's eventually going. To... Personally, I think he, if he struggles and they don't make the tournament this year, maybe even next year, I think he gets fired. And I think a good example is Michigan. Michigan came into this year with all this hype, with all this athleticism. That's really hard to play together as a team when all these players were the main guys in high school. Also, there are a bunch of young guys as well, but I think one thing that Michigan is getting better at is playing as a team and playing as a unit, which is really great for Michigan and really concerning for other teams because what if Michigan starts clicking? They have so much talent that they're a top 10 team, maybe top 5 talent-wise. Mm-hmm. With um, Diabate, the five-star freshman, you got Caleb Houston, a five-star freshman. You got Hunter Dickinson coming back as a sophomore. Um, you got Devonte Jones, the uh, transfer from Coastal Carolina, that's starting to play a little better. You got six-year senior and Eli Eli Brooks. That he's not going to be the main guy. He's not going to get you 15, 20 points a game, but he's a three-point shooter. That if you leave alone, he can get you nine, twelve. He can get you four or five three points a game, three pointers a game, and that's just scary for him. Oh yeah, well, I would agree. With you. I'm I'm excited to see what happens tomorrow. Um, I'm interested to see the, the line for them. I want to see whatever the, the spread is. See if I can get some data. I think this. I would guess the spread would probably be three or four. I see four and a half. Oh, that's what it says against Penn. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the Michigan-Michigan State games, even when one team is down, are always close in basketball. Seldom do you see a blowout one way or the other. Um, obviously, I'm biased. I'd probably be more inclined to take the four and a half for, for Michigan State. But, um, but no, I, I'm very excited to see it. I think that the, this, Michigan State, or excuse me, this Michigan State team in particular has a lot of potential, and it's just it feels a lot different to me than the Michigan State team in the past. I think that um, as long as they can stay healthy and they can play good basketball at the right time, I think they have the opportunity to do a lot of damage in the tournament. Yeah, 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, especially after, like, the Illinois game and, like, Joey Hauser playing more minutes than Malik Hall, a lot of people are questioning, at least Izzo are questioning his staff on, like, rotations, questioning kind of Mr. March. He hasn't really done too much late. He's because we barely made the tournament last year. COVID happened. I think one thing that people are forgetting is that before that, MSU won three Big Ten championships, went to a Final Four, and we also missed a year on of Cassius Winston. Yeah. So I honestly think if that team would have had a tournament, I think that team could have very well competed for a national championship, especially for how hot they're getting. But Yeah, yeah when, when COVID took them down, they, they had just come off that huge comeback at Penn State. Yeah. And I remember that game. That was very exciting. Yeah, Cassius Winston was one of the more impressive Michigan State, uh, at least collegiate basketball players I've, I've seen in a while. He had a lot of games. I was very excited to watch him and Kobe Tillman, those guys, get a chance to play a junior in this NCAA tournament. But, sorry, proceed. Yeah, but um, I think one match that would have been really fun to watch is Cassius Winston versus Trey Burke. Because yeah. Trey, Trey Burke was the guy at Michigan, mm-hmm. and Cassius Winston was the guy at MSU. Yep. I know there's been arguments back and forth who is better. I think Cassius is probably the better scorer, or at least in my opinion, he's the better scorer. I think Trey Burke was a much better defender than um, Cassius. I still remember that Kansas game when Trey Burke hit that big, big three to send them to the next round. I still remember that, and I'm like, even though I'm not a Michigan fan, I still remember watching him, and I'm like, that. He's special, and yeah. there and I think there's some players that you look at and you're like that that person's special, and I think Cassius Winston was one of them. I think Trey Burke is one of them. I don't really see that right now with um any of these um, players for MSU or Michigan. May maybe Max Christie, maybe Caleb Houston, but yeah. you don't really see that special guy yeah. as of right now. Well, what I'll say is that you know as great as Cassius Winston was, um, he he was really the only primary offense. Um, you know, Xavier Tillman would have his moments where he could score, um, but the only consistent scoring threat that MSU had it, it was Cassius Winston, and therefore they would run their entire offense through him. And that was part of the issue that they ran into in the Texas Tech uh, Final Four games. That you know, Texas Tech was very aware that they just needed to contain Cassius Winston, and MSU couldn't score, and they couldn't, and that's why they lost the game. So this team, I think, has a, a lot more of a balanced approach, and I think that everybody contributes in their own unique way. Um, on both ends of the floor, really. I think everybody can defend pretty well and everybody can score um, or knows how to get their shots to score, which is important. So, I mean, I think that this team is better than that. It doesn't mean that there is uh, star power, but I think this team, um, as a collective, is better than that. And one thing I think that is the difference between this year and that year's team is that during that time, there were some really, really great basketball. The thing is, this year in college basketball, who's a really great team? Gonzaga? Maybe Baylor. Baylor. Then everyone else is good, really good. So as long as, let's say, for MSU or Michigan, let's say you you get going, let's say you don't run into any of those teams. You run into good, really good teams, not a great team. You can go on a run to the Final Four and not have to face like a team like Baylor. I think Auburn is another 
amazing team. I think yep. I think Auburn is doing very well. But this year, I think the field is a lot more open other than, like, the two, three teams that are amazing that you do not want to run into. Yeah, I mean, there's not a I – mean, I say this and MSU will be able to beat that Duke team, but there isn't, like, a, a Zion Williamson-type Duke team where you know it's so loaded with talent you don't want to play. There isn't a John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Kentucky team you don't want to play. There isn't something like that. I mean, there's, there are teams, like you said, that are, are very good, and there are a couple of great teams. But no one is a, is a full-blown juggernaut. There isn't anybody that you look at it as kind of a, a death sentence when you see them in a tournament. Yeah. So I agree. I think that um, any tournament run is largely reliant on the matchups that you draw. And I think that MSU and really all of their Final Four runs have generally been pretty fortunate with the teams that they've drawn. They've, you know, there have definitely been times where they've had to play like the one or the two seed or they've been the one or the two seed. But there have been also plenty of times where they end up playing seven seeds, 11 seeds, five seeds, kind of through the tournament to get to the final four. So I, I hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed, hopefully they get some good matchups this year too. Yeah, yeah, they definitely do. Um, one thing that I think, if you're a fan of the Big Ten, one thing I think a lot of people are wondering about is you see all these Big Ten schools make the NCAA tournament, and you see they're pretty highly ranked in the NCAA tournament. You'll see... Maybe not one seed, but you'll see a couple. You'll see a two, three, four, six, nine, eleven. You'll see seven or eight teams in the Big Ten that just beat each other up during the year. And you're like, okay, this is great. We're going to be prepared for those hard games in March Madness. Then you look and you see how many of those teams make the second weekend. One, maybe two. Why do you think the Big Ten? No matter what team is, why do you think the Big Ten don't do very well? It's been since 2000 since a Big Ten team has won the national championship. 21, 22 years now that yep. since anyone has won it. Now, Michigan's been close. Mm-hmm. MSU has been close. Purdue, Ohio State was close twice. Yes, Ohio State was close. Purdue hasn't been really close. I know Florida went back to back. Did Ohio State play them back to back? I think they might have, but that was a re- that was a really good, good basketball forward team with Joe yeah. and Noah. But yeah, I mean that. Well, I'm, not, I'm remembering that whole Ohio State team. But yeah, they had um, Greg Oden and they had uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm forgetting a lot of the guys on that team, but I remember that Ohio State team was pretty solid. But yeah, Florida had Al Horford. They had Joe and Noah. They had Corey Brewer. They had guys that could play. They really did. Yeah. So. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean. Um, I think that in large part it's challenging for the Big Ten because of the true premier college basketball programs in the country, none of them are in the Big Ten. I think that Michigan State is a very good basketball program, but I wouldn't say they're the elite elite. I think that, you know, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what you're looking at. Um, obviously, Baylor's been on a run as of late, and Zach has been playing really well as of the last few years. But, um, no one in the Big Ten is consistently drawing number one or number two or three classes across the country. So, and with that, I mean, look at guys like Coach K or Roy Williams, um, and you couple, or Bill Self, and you couple the great collegiate coaches with the best kids coming out of high school year after year after year after year. At the end of the day, it's pretty tough to consistently beat that. And so you need to either go on just a, a great run, which can happen, or you need to essentially find ways to avoid those 
Um, it isn't obviously the most ideal format for sorting out who's truly is the best because it's a one and done type situation. But you're eventually going to be playing some great teams, and you're probably going to end up playing the cream that rises to the top. And MSU, especially traditionally, has really struggled against you know Kentucky. They've really struggled against North Carolina and against Duke, and sometimes they beat Kansas, but most of the time they don't. And, and uh, you know most Big Ten teams also have a similar record against them. So. It's, uh, it's difficult. I think that if you had a Duke or somebody like that, I think the Big Ten would win a lot more. <laughs> it, yeah. Um, so Izzo's talked about – you like, you see, like, Coach K, you see Coach Williams, you see Coach Self. I think Izzo's about around there. I don't yeah. think he's up by Coach K. I think there's different levels. But yeah. Izzo's talked about as one of the best coaches, at least in the conversation, like, ever. You have, like – you have Knight and – I don't think he's – I think Izzo would probably be about top 10, top 8 maybe. Biased. Yes, I am biased as a state fan. But do you think Izzo will win one more national championship before he retires? Um, that's a difficult to say. I mean, I think that every year he has a legitimate opportunity to do it. But like I said, it just depends on um, – the draw that they get and how they perform. He's pretty good at getting the Final Four. Not that great at finishing it, which, listen, I'll take getting the Final Four in a year. That's, that's a fun and exciting year. But, um, you know, he's had a number of really good opportunities in the Final Four. I think that the, the most challenging year would have been the year that they actually went to the title game because they had to play a really good UConn team and they had to play one of the more impressive college basketball teams ever assembled in the Carolina team, which they obviously lost. But, um, you know, they... They had a chance to beat uh, Butler with Gordon Hayward, which obviously wasn't like an easy game, but they were a five-seed Butler team. I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's a, a game that you should probably win. Um, they had opportunities to beat, I believe it was Florida was another one, Texas Tech. I mean, it's not like every time they get to the Final Four, they run into a Duke buzzsaw. Yeah. So they have opportunities. It's kind of a matter of finishing the job. Um, it's also difficult to say how long is it going to be there. I mean, if you give them another decade, I'd be surprised if he, if he goes for that long. But if I had to say, I would say I don't think he does. See, I really hope he does. As a state fan, I also hope, I think if he does, I think that's the year he retires. Yeah, I, I, I don't see Izzo. I think Izzo wants number two really bad. Mm-hmm. I think he well, knows that he needs well, it. Well, not plenty of coaches, but you know, to win one is impressive. But to win multiple kind of puts you in a, a very small class of coaches that are able to do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where he wants to get. I think all everyone around the country knows how great Izzo is. I think Juwan Howard has a chance to win multiple championships, especially with how good recruiting is done. Like, he's getting top recruits. Now, can he put the classes together? Can he put the team together like Coach K is? We don't know that yet. But Izzo, I think, wants number two. Now, the good thing with Izzo is that he does beat his rivals. Yes, he does. He, I think, 30-19 and 19 against Michigan. Now, that's against a lot of pretty bad, low-level Michigan teams because Michigan wasn't always a highly rated basketball team, but yeah. since D-line and stuff like that, at least it seems like MSU fans can rely on that and rely on Final Fours. While he might not get that second championship, 
you can look at it, say Izzo's gone to I think seven or eight Final Fours in like twenty five, twenty six years. Yeah. That's a final that's a final four like every four years. Like I think he's only had one or two classes where you're like that class didn't make the final four. Yeah. No, I mean it's an impressive resume. It is, um, and and obviously I think he's, he's one of the, the better coaches in the history of college basketball. But um, I mean, think about it in in a like think about it in the context of an NFL coach, right? Think about if you were to consistently get to like the NFC championship, right? Um, like getting to those those games is impressive, but and and that I guess would be the NFL's equivalent of the quote. Final Four, right? Yeah. But if you never actually won the NFC or you never actually won the AFC and got the chance to go and like win a Super Bowl, then that would have a, a much different asterisk next to it. But the Final Four is regarded as a very impressive achievement, as it should be. But, you know, you get to cut down the nets, you get the shirts, you get to hang the banner up, you get to do all those types of things. Whereas participation in the NFC Championship game doesn't, you know... <laughs> doesn't get you very much. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think that though he has had a very impressive collegiate coaching career um, and I'm very thankful to the team that I grew up watching and, and kind of naturally became a fan of his, his team um, I think that not being able to with some consistency truly finish the job is a little bit of a mark against him whereas the Calipari's or the Coach K's, uh, Bobby Knight those type of guys who were consistently getting the job all the way done and have multiple titles is, is different. Yeah absolutely so we are going to so let's talk. Let's make our kind of predictions for the Michigan MSU game tomorrow. So what's your prediction for tomorrow's MSU Michigan game? It kind of seems like both teams match up pretty well against each other, at least in my opinion. I think you have um, you have a point guard and Jones for Michigan against Walker. Um, for MSU, you got Gabe Brown and Eli Brooks. I think that's a pretty good matchup. You got Max Christie and Caleb Houston. That's going to be a fun matchup as well. You got Marcus Bingham versus Hunter Dickinson. That should be an electric lineup matchup. Now, the one position I'm worried about if you're an MSU fan and should be excited if you're a Michigan fan is that four lineup. You got Joey Hauser and Malik Hall. Versus a five-star, extremely athletic, extremely tall, Musa Diabate. And that's one thing I think that MSU and Michigan fans are really going to have to pay attention to is that four spot. Now, we've seen both teams get in quite a bit of foul trouble at the four and five spot. But what if Musa doesn't get in that foul trouble? Who would you put on him? Would you put on a Malik Hall as a better defender and can make better plays and actually start him, would you start Joey Hauser that's been starting all year? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think um, my official prediction is I think that MSU wins by in the neighborhood of eight points. I think that they get off to a really fast start, and I think that they, as human emotion takes its toll, I think that you naturally let off the gas a little bit. Michigan makes a bit of a run and makes it interesting down the stretch, but I think that MSU does ultimately win. Um, with that said, I think that it, almost entirely depends on the Malik Hall that's going to be able to play. I think that when Malik Hall is living up to his scoring potential, I think that he is one of the more impressive scorers um, on the court, no matter who he's playing against. Um, I think that he ha- 
pretty impressive arsenal of moves that he can execute, which most guys that play on Izzo's team don't. Um, but at the same time, sometimes he just doesn't really show up. And I, it's obviously a, a mental game. But we'll see. If, if he can show up and he can shoot the ball as he's capable of and get like a 15 to 20 points, I think the mission's been good. A lot of people are arguing that Malik Hall might be the best player on MSU. You can argue he might be the most talented as well. You see the plays that he makes, like in that um, Illinois game, when MSU was starting to come back, yes, Joey Hauser hit a big three, but who led to that big three? Yeah. It was Malik Hall. And I think a lot of people are frustrated. I think this is where people get... Again, back to the frustration, especially about who's starting, about the rotation, about is it going after Bingham but not going after Hauser. Some people are like, why is why is Izzo, why does he pull Bingham out faster than Joey Hauser? And I think it has a lot to do with the player that they are. I think I think we've kind of seen that and I'm a big fan of Joey Hauser. I think he gives out all our effort every single time. But I think we saw it early on that Joey Hauser questions himself more than Bingham. Like, we've seen Bingham be in the doghouse for two straight games, and then he comes out and plays probably one of his best games of the year against Illinois. Yes, it was a losing game, but you saw his impact. Now, do I think Joey Hauser can do that? I don't know. That's why I think that they kind of treat him differently. But... You've got a game tomorrow that you're looking at the matchup and you're like, who should you start? And Malik Hall hasn't started all year. But if you're Izzo, do you put Malik Hall out there and then tell Joey Hauser, hey, this is what's best for our team. This is what's best for the matchup. Or do you continue to roll with Joey Hauser? That might be more of a liability on defense. Or might be able to pull... Musa Diabate out a little bit more than Malik Hall because Hall's hit some threes, but we've only seen Hall take threes when he's wide open. We mm-hmm. haven't seen Hall take a contested three like we've seen Joey Hauser. Yes, Joey Hauser doesn't make all of them, but at least he's made some contested threes. But yeah, I definitely think that four matchup is huge tomorrow. I think if MSU can prevent Musa Diabate from having a career game and Hunter Dickinson, from having a really great game, which I think Bingham's going to do very well. I'm kind of concerned about Julius Marble against Dickinson, especially because Marble is not a shot blocker, and that Bingham is. I think he might be a little better on the offensive end, at least, so I think it kind of helps there. But I think that four spot will really change the game, and if MSU comes out and plays well, the four spot prevents Musa Diabate, then... Christie and Gabe Brown start seeing their shots, and Walker plays less scared because I think he's a little nervous sometimes to play. I think MSU can win by eight plus. But there's another podcast I listen to, huge Michigan fan, Chris Casalani. He's like, I have no gauge in this Michigan team. He's like, this Michigan team could win by 10 points tonight if they play like they did against Indiana, or they could lose by 30. So I think it really depends on who shows up because we've seen a really good MSU team against Wisconsin. We've seen a really bad MSU team against Northwestern. And then the same thing happened is Michigan was struggling early on, struggled against Northwestern, 
if you watch that Michigan Indiana game, that's some of probably the best basketball I've seen played. Sure. No, I, I agree with you fully. Um, basketball is, I think, inherently, especially in college basketball, is a much more um, streaky kind of a mental game, and especially when you compare it with something like college football. Not to say that teams can't have down games in college football, but um, I, I think it's it's more of the there's a little bit less unpredictability in football. Things are a lot more scripted, kind of like running a – it's a rehearsed dance that you're doing over and over and over again. And everybody knows what they're doing and everybody knows what to expect and kind of just being executed at a higher level. Whereas basketball is a lot more fluid and it's a lot more creative. And I think that – and it also relies on whether or not you're making shots that day and sometimes you just aren't. Yeah. Um, that was a first half against Illinois for the most part. I mean, MSU couldn't make shots. And they dug themselves a 14-point deficit and almost came back, but it's difficult to do that. So I think that um, it, it's difficult to predict one specific basketball game. It's hard to predict any game, but especially something like college basketball because it's, you know, players are young, it's emotional, it depends on you know, what type of player shows up, it depends on who's making shots. Um, so optimistically, I think Michigan State by in the neighborhood of eight points, but like you said about the other guy, maybe Michigan loses by 30, maybe they win by 20. I have no idea. Yeah, and speaking of unpredictability, let's talk about this NFL <laughs> playoffs. We've seen unpredictability all over the field, um, unpredictability in free agency with Aaron Rodgers. We see unpredictability in the Bengals, not only winning one playoff game, winning two, and now in the AFC championship unpredictability and the Rams somehow holding on to beat the Bucks. I saw a meme and it was about the Rams logo slowly turning into a Falcons logo and they're like they're almost there and then it switched back to the Rams logo but yeah there's been a lot of unpredictability. Antonio Brown he's probably pursuing legal action against the Bucks. Um I don't think he should play anymore. That's just my opinion. But then unpredictability of look at the games last weekend. Like a lot of people are arguing that those games were probably some of the best NFL games you've ever seen. And we got really young quarterbacks playing in the championships. We got Patty Mahomes. We got Joe Burrow. We got Matthew Stafford is a little older, but Garoppolo's a little bit older too, but it's 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 exciting because there's this new young crop of quarterbacks who you can see who's going to be the star for the next ten to twelve years, and, and it's cool to see that because um, obviously like Drew Brees is gone now, and um, Roethlisberger just retired, and Tom Brady's on the doorstep of retirement, at least allegedly. Um, so it's it, the old generations moving on, and, and then there's you know, the NFL's a good hand. Which is cool to see. Yeah, and couple other young quarterbacks you got Justin Herbert now the whole situation with the Chargers against the Raiders I think Stanley made the absolutely wrong choice of calling a timeout I think it kind of seemed like the Raiders were going to kind of let the clock run out because the Raiders had absolutely nothing to lose yeah everything to lose was from the LA Chargers yeah and while yes they didn't make the playoffs I think that I think they would have been a lot better game than what we saw against the Steelers and the Chiefs. Yeah. 
like I love Ben Roethlisberger. Like I appreciate everything he's done. Um, but he should have retired like two years ago. Like there's certain types of players that should retire, and they don't retire. And I'm a big Tom Brady fan, but now there's this question of will Tom Brady retire? Do I think he will? I honestly do. I honestly think that Tom Brady is ready to be done. And I think it has a lot to do with his family. Now, do I hope he retires? Absolutely not. I want to see Tom Brady again. I want to see Tom Brady go out on top, especially for being a Tom Brady fan. But if you're Tom Brady, would you come back for another year? You've already won seven Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go for an eight? Do you have anything to prove to anyone? Well, I think um, on, on Tom's case, he hasn't had anything to prove for a long time. But I think that it, it is just an emotional thing. I think if, if you still have the desire to play, then then you play. Um, if you don't, you don't. I think that's really what it boils down to. The Bucs are still going to have weapons. You know, Mike Evans is still going to be around. If, if Tom comes back, I'm sure the Kronk comes back. They're going to have Leonard Fournette. They're going to have Rojo. Um, I think if they really wanted to keep up a spending spree and they wanted to make those – big money star vet contract work for like one more year. I think they could do it. But um, it, I think it just is, is where Tom's head's at. Because the Bucks, if he comes back, they, you know, Antonio Brown's gone and, and Godwin, his contract situation coupled with a knee injury is a little bit in limbo. But I think the Bucks will still be one of the best teams in the league. And they'll still have an opportunity, a legitimate opportunity to compete for the Super Bowl again. But it's just uh, whether or not he wants to do it. Yeah, and then look at their division. You have a Saints team. That is way over the cap. I think they're about seven forty million or seventy million over the cap right now. And who are they paying? Who are they paying all the money? Michael Thomas? I think Michael. I think Michael Thomas. I think um, Camara. I think. Yeah. I think they're they're. I know they're over the cap. I know the Packers are really over the cap as well. Yeah. And. And they're but, still going to pay Devontae Adams if they want to pay Devontae Adams. Yeah, but you see that division that the Bucks are in. No Sean Payton. You have a brand new coach. I don't think the Panthers aren't good. The Falcons aren't good. Yeah. You literally have for some and for some reason the Saints always have Tom Brady's yeah. <laughs> for some reason always have their number. Yeah. I don't unless it's in the playoffs. For some reason they always have their number, but I don't think the Saints are going to be very good next year. The Falcons unless unless they get one of the star quarterbacks in free agency, which I think might happen. Who do you think they would get? They get Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you still have you still have Mark Ingram, you have Camara, you have um, Callaway, you have Michael Thomas is going to be coming back. You have um, the Saints seem to never have any shortage of, of physically gifted wide receivers. The defense is still super loaded. I don't know if Cam Jordan's still going to be sticking around, but you have him. You have Lattimore. You have um, P.J. Williams at safety. You have like like they have guys all over the field that can. They shut out the Bucks. I mean, <laughs> like they shut out Tom Brady and the Bucks. So I, they have a roster um, in the same way that, that the Steelers have a very impressive roster. The Steelers, I mean, look at the Steelers' office. They have Najee Harris. They have Deontay Johnson. They have uh, Chase Claypool, Juju. Um, they have that prior move kid at tight end. They have all these really impressive weapons. And their defense has the defensive player of the year. They have Devin Bush. They have Micah Fitzpatrick. They've got uh, Cameron Hayward. TJ Watt. But yeah, TJ, defensive player of the year. TJ, yeah. I mean, they're they're in business. So I think that um, obviously it depends on. I I think that Rogers is almost a thousand percent done. 
I think that Russell Wilson probably wants out of town too. So it just, I don't know what their wives, if they want to live in Pittsburgh or New Orleans or something, or if they want to try to go a big market. But I think that if you are looking to keep winning and be on a great football team, I think Pittsburgh and New Orleans are much more desirable landing spots than like a Denver. Not that Denver, I think, is a bad team. Or, I mean, what, the Giants? Like, like who are you really going to go <laughs> hang out with? So, yeah. You know what? I think just so Tom Brady can really prove that he's a GOAT, I think you should come to the Detroit Lions, try to win a Super Bowl with the Detroit Lions. If he really wants to win, you should come to the Detroit Lions. But one thing that I always kind of thought was funny was how, um, and one of my listeners, he's a friend, he's a big Packers fan, and um, I, did, I did a podcast saying how I think that, like the last one I was talking about, how I think Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, going to leave, and he didn't necessarily... Enjoy that, and absolutely, if you're a Packers fan, that makes you sad, that makes you upset. But one thing that would be interesting, one thing that people kind of joked about, was would you take Aaron Rodgers on the Lions? Like, if Aaron Rodgers wanted to come play for the Lions, would you say yes? Like, as a fan or as a GM or what? Like, if you're a fan, yeah. and Aaron Rodgers says, oh, yeah. I, I want to play for the Detroit Lions. A thousand percent, I would say yes. <laughs> Not even close. I mean, what is it? It's like the we don't like Aaron Rodgers because we're the Lions. Is it like that whole thing? Yeah, basically, that's basically the Would whole. Would the Miami argument. Dolphins accept Tom Brady when he's still balling out, or be like, we don't like Tom Brady. He can't play for us. That's so dumb. Of course, he would take Aaron Rodgers. He's still like a top five quarterback in the league. Yeah, he I, would immediately think the Lions are being a four win team to at least a ten win team overnight. So yeah, I would take it. Yeah, uh, I think I think Aaron Rodgers ends up actually going to Denver. I could, I mean, that's what um, the rumors have been is that he's interested in Denver, and I don't blame them for that. But I think that there are, if you are truly just you want to win Super Bowls, which maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Um, I would, I would go to Pittsburgh. But yeah, and I also think you you do have John Elway there, which he hasn't had, and people love John Elway. They love him as a person. He was a great quarterback. But one thing that people have always questioned was. He's never had a quarterback. No. Like he's never had a good quarterback at Denver. The last time was Payne Manning, which for a year he was really good at the Broncos when they won the um, Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But the year well, after, actually, I was gonna say the the year that he went nuts was actually the year that they got smacked in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. The year that oh, they yeah. won was when it the was defense when totally was, carried him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like yeah. he won one, but then you look at their quarterbacks and you see Drew Lack. Mm-hmm. Teddy Bridgewater, and you're like... They have Brock Osweiler? Yeah, they did. Have, they signed Brock Osweiler to like a four-year deal. Like, actually, like a large deal. And I saw that, and I'm like, he had, he had like a couple of good games with like the Texans, and then he just decided to sign him to like a four-year, like $60 million deal for some reason. Yeah. But um, if you look at that team, though, they have a good defense. Mm-hmm. They have weapons in Javante Williams. They have... They got Melvin Gordon still. Melvin they got Gordon. Noah Fant. They have Jerry Judy. Port- Portland Sutton. I think they still have KJ Hamler. I don't know if he's still playing as much. But um, they have really good weapons. And I think, honestly, I think the Broncos are one quarterback away. One elite quarterback away from being able to compete for the Super Bowl. At least in my opinion. Because I think a elite quarterback, no matter where they are, they give their chance, their team, 
a chance. Yeah. It's not like a running back. Like we've seen elite running backs. Perfect example is Panthers. Um, McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Yeah. Elite running back has done absolutely nothing. They had Darnold, but and another example, the Titans. You have so much talent on that roster. You have the king and Derrick Henry come back for your first. And, well, who and, granted wasn't yeah, quite was, himself, but yeah, but no, himself. I mean, look at think about in a fantasy football league. I mean, obviously the the top picks are always the best running backs in the league. How many of those guys are actually on great football teams? Not a ton. Of them. Um, the the key factor that you see in teams that win Super Bowls or dynasties are that they have super high-level quarterback play. Um, you know, Belichick is obviously a great coach, but Belichick, pre-legendary Tom Brady, and post-legendary Tom Brady are not at all the same type of results that he had with Tom Brady. And that's, I don't think it's fair when people try to knock Belichick about that. I mean, they had a great season with Matt Jones. Like, yeah. He obviously is, is a wonderful coach, but think about if you took Russell Wilson off of the Seahawks. Seahawks would, who already have been struggling would absolutely collapse and probably get the first round pick in the next year's draft, right? Do you take Aaron Rodgers off of the Packers at any point in his career? Packers suck. Um, you take Drew Brees off of the Saints. Saints suck. It's just, it's, the, it's such an important, it's a quarterback driven league. It really is. And I get why, um, even sometimes I get annoyed by the fact that the MVP just always goes to a quarterback or always yeah. goes like the, like the quote unquote best quarterback of the year or whatever. But I get it. I mean, it, it really is. If, if you don't have a – who was the last team to win a Super Bowl that didn't have a star quarterback? I mean, honestly. Probably – probably the year Peyton wasn't very good. Yeah, who, I mean, it's still Peyton Manning. But the, but the caveat with that is they had one of the best defenses in the history of – Yeah, they had, they had a really good <laughs> – they had a pretty young Von Miller still. They had probably they had the DeMarcus best. Ware. They yeah. had like um, PJ Ward. They had Chris Harris Jr. They had to keep to leave. Like they had everybody. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, that defense literally carried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and Payne Manning had a Hall Hall of Fame career. Mm -hmm. I think I think a lot of people like he. If you look at what he did in the regular season, I think you can make the argument of one of the best quarterbacks ever. Yeah, I think where. Payton's downfall is, and I think a lot of people would probably agree, it's his success in the postseason. Yep. He didn't have very much success. I think that's going to be a downfall of Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers dominated in the regular season, but look at what he's done. He's won one Super Bowl. He hasn't gotten past the NFC Championship in many, many years. Yes, he had to play Tom Brady. Yes, he had to play a couple of really good quarterbacks, but you have a chance against the 49ers, which, not saying the 49ers, 49ers aren't great. They are. Mm -hmm. but They're a good team, but they're a team that you could definitely beat, especially yeah, at Lambeau in the alleged most difficult playoff place to play in the cold yeah. and the frozen tundra and all that stuff. Yeah, no, you should. And I think that um, the way that I at least think about the, the Packers during the Rodgers era is a lot similar to the way that I think about the Colts during the Peyton Manning era. I think it's, it's super, super similar. Because like you said, I mean, Peyton statistically was one of the more impressive um, regular season quarterbacks ever. Um, and obviously now as it's become a much, much more hap or pass-happy league, it, his numbers and, and records aren't going to look quite the same. But, um, I mean, honestly, the, the two 
consistent playoff and Super Bowl success pretty much ever outside of Joe Montana or Mahomes and Brady. Mm-hmm. That's about it. I mean, Drew Brees, for as great as Drew Brees is, he won one Super Bowl. Did he go to two? I can't remember if he went to two or not. I feel like he went to one. I think he won, he won one against the Colts. Yeah. And that's, I think, when the the Colts was were 15-1. Mm-hmm. I think Pat McAfee talks yep. about how yep. the last week they were like, I think they didn't play their stars. Yeah. And how they, a bunch they could of, have been potentially going undefeated to win that Super Bowl. Yeah, and how a bunch yeah. of people were upset, especially the players. They're like, mm-hmm. why are we... Why are we wrestling? We want to go undefeated. Another perfect example of a team that went undefeated was that Patriots team that yep. somehow ends up losing to, to Eli, Eli Manning. Eli Manning. Yep. That's another team that is kind of a clutch to Tom Brady is Eli Manning. Eli Manning won Eli Manning two and Super Nichols. Bowls. <laughs> Eli, Eli Manning, and no slight to Eli Manning, but he's won two Super Bowls. That's more than Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I think Peyton only won. Peyton won two. Peyton he won, won one with Indianapolis two. and one with Denver. Drew Brees won one. Now, if you t- say who's the better quarterback, I don't think that's an argument. I no. think Drew Brees, I think Aaron Rodgers is a much oh, better, better quarterback infinitely. than Eli Manning. But the thing is, is when Eli got into the playoffs, what did he do different? He won games. He yep. won the games that he shouldn't have won. Won games in large part due to fantastic running games and elite defenses. But yes, but yes, I agree. I mean, ultimately, that's what I mean. A win is a win is a win. And uh, I mean, obviously, it's self-evident all of Tom Brady's postseason success. But Mahomes has lost one playoff game, I think, which yeah. was to Tom Brady in overtime. In overtime, because he didn't get the chance to get the ball back. Which I think the the NFL should change the overtime rules, especially after the Chiefs. I think that game would have been a lot more interesting and fascinating if the Bills got a chance. Because mm-hmm. you knew whoever got that coin toss was going to win the game. Yeah. Like, no one was stopping anything. Yeah. Well, what I – how do you think that that overtime situation should be resolved? How do you think it should be? I think that if the team scores a touchdown, mm-hmm. I think the other team should have a chance to score it. A touchdown, and if they score anything less, the game's over. And then it just goes back and forth. So let's say the Chiefs score a touchdown, Bills score a touchdown. Then I've seen some where like the next score wins. I've seen some like my idea is kind of like fifteen minutes, where you just continue. You just to... have an, an overtime period for fifteen minutes. Whoever is ahead at the end of that. Yeah. Or end, yeah. or you could do like if the Chiefs hit a field goal, then. The Bills have to hit a field goal, have to yeah. score a touchdown. You have to win. either equal or surpass. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. The thing that I thought was interesting is I heard somebody talk about the Ravens' proposed solution. I don't know if you know I what that, that is. So what the Ravens said is it's whoever wins the coin toss gets to choose where the football is going to be placed to start the first drive. And then from that, the other team gets to choose if they want to defend or if they want to play on offense. Okay. So you could put the ball on... The, the other the other line. teams won the yard line, but then they would say, "Okay, we'll play defense." And it, it's the same equivalent of if you have, I don't know, a piece of cake, and you're trying to split it between kids, right? Yeah. You, whoever cuts it, the other person gets to choose the piece. And and I don't know. I mean, I I understand the the wanting to not leave it up to a coin toss sort of thing, but at the same time, I mean, football it's a team game. And I think that you've had a, a significant opportunity. Obviously, you've had the whole game to try to win. And so if it comes down to, 
I mean, somebody's got to take the ball first. So if your defense can't stop anybody and it's sudden death and a touchdown is what it is, I mean, that, that is what it is. And, and I get that the other team is always upset whenever they lose in sudden death in that situation. But you know who doesn't care? No, the, the team that won. So, I mean, I, I think that um, – I think that you don't necessarily need to overcomplicate football. I think the Ravens' idea is pretty cool. Absolutely. You think you can still keep it sudden death that way. But um, I don't know. I, because you look at the college overtime situation, which is so silly with the whole after it's third overtime, then it's just like two-point attempts. You're yeah, trading we, saw, back we saw Illinois versus Penn State going yeah. nine overtime. Which like, was just stunning. so silly, yeah. And, and so I think that um, – I don't know. I, I think you've had the whole game – actually get to win the thing so just somebody gets the ball somebody plays on defense i don't hate the fact like hey score a touchdown it's game over i think that's kind of cool i understand the argument for getting an opportunity to respond to it um i'm not entirely against that but i hate super long overtime periods and the only thing i hate more than that are ties and i feel like the nfl is pretty good at producing ties yes so unless just... you're the lions versus the steelers and both teams do not want to win yeah they're like, and we're all set which ended up losing the Lions' um, the number one overall pick, which I don't think honestly matters because you have two elite rush pass rushers in Thibodeau and Hutchinson. But yeah, before um, we can continue to go, we can continue to talk. Really it's quickly, been... really quickly. I want um, tell me who's going to win the AFC and the NFC, and then tell me who's going to win the Super Bowl. NFC, I'm going to go with the Rams. Big Stafford fan, I believe. The Rams actually beat the 49ers. I think the 49ers finally lose. AFC, I'm going. I'm riding with Joe Burrow. I'm riding with the Bengals. I don't know. I really Big like dick Joe. Yeah, I really like the Bengals. I think they'll win. Overall, I think Matthew Stafford wins his first Super Bowl, and I think that's good for him. Most Lions thing that's ever happened ever. Yeah, it's the most Detroit <laughs> thing ever to happen. You see these really great players leave and then win a, win the Super Bowl. But at the same time, I think this might be right. This might be wrong. I think some Lions fans or a lot of Lions fans, if Matthew Stafford wins the Super Bowl, will act like the Detroit Lions. Oh, and I'd they absolutely should. Yeah, I'd be very happy for him if he did. Yeah, I think um, similar, a little bit different. I think that. Um, I think that the Rams finally get over the 49ers hump. But it is definitely worth noting that in the same way that the Bucks struggle with the Saints, for whatever reason, the Rams can't seem to beat the 49ers. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on. Though I do think that the Rams are all around a, a better team. I think that obviously McVay is a great coach, but I think that the Rams will win. Um, I think that the Chiefs are going to get some revenge on the Bengals after what happened in whatever it was, week 16, when they had the big lead and they blew it. Also, the, the Chiefs at Arrowhead are just very, very, very tough to beat. So I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means, but I think the Chiefs are just – Bengals have Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, and they're both that's great, it, but really. that's about it. So I do think that the Chiefs are going to win. I think that the Rams are going to win as well, but I, I would agree. I think it's going to be um, a Rams Super Bowl win in SoFi um, it, entirely because I think that the, the Rams have a very, very balanced and effective offensive attack, and I think that the whole Aaron Donald, Angie, and Ramsey thing on defense is pretty difficult stuff with Von Miller throwing there now too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we got about 10 seconds left. So I want to thank you for joining. That's a wrap to episode 13. It was awesome to have you on, Cole. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And now I'm going to throw you in the fridge. <laughs>